Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Thursday, June the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, you're going to have to pick between Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Brian Flores. You can't have them both, and I'll tell you why. Plus, which teams could land the number one pick and be open for business next year via a trade? And is Xavier Howard the best cornerback in the NFL? We'll tell you why Miami's joint practices are a win-win. And we'll jump in to the Twitter mailbag. A very busy show today. But before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter. It's at WingfulNFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And you can find the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have have the Brian Flores verse to a Tonga Vailoa article up there live, as well as Jason Harina's number one through 10 quarterbacks in the post Dan Marino era up on LOD.com. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I have several topics I want to jump into today. Let's go ahead and get right to it. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the Dolphins announced earlier this week, and I know I'm behind on this one, but it was announced that the Dolphins will have joint practices with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on August 13th and 14th ahead of the team's Week 2 preseason game on August 16th in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. The Patriots do this every single year, so I assume the Dolphins, with the Patriots' influence, will do it now as well. And as the preseason becomes less and less important, as these teams continue to play starters less and less, this is a really good idea. It's a great way to get similar game reps and simulate game situations that you would have in the preseason games, but in a more controlled environment in practice where you can basically control the circumstances and the elements of the play. It's going to result in less injuries and it allows you to get a closer look at the bottom of the roster in the actual games because you get the starters their reps in practice and then you elevate the third and fourth string guys into more prominent roles on game day in the preseason, the guys that actually need those reps on game day. So this really has benefits all around and the Dolphins will have those joint practices again in Tampa Bay on August 13th and 14th, a couple days ahead of the game on Friday, August the 16th in Tampa Bay. The next news item here is that it was posted on Twitter, the Lindy's NFL Preview Magazine, one of the better sports publications, although this list is going to kind of knock them down a peg. They have Xavier Howard as the top cornerback in the National Football League. That again, of course, according to Lindy's Magazine, Pro Football Focus is not as kind to Xavier Howard. They believe he gets beat far too often and commits far too many too many penalties, but you watch the tape and there's plenty to look at with Xavier Howard. I do believe he has an argument as the top cornerback in the league. I probably wouldn't put him there, but he's definitely in the conversation among the top three or four guys in the National Football League. But this general list in total 
is kind of whack. They have Darius Slay at number 19. He and Marshawn Lattimore and Tredavious White are way too low. And for some reason, I guess based upon their name, Josh Norman and Malcolm Butler both crack the top 20 of this list. Malcolm Butler probably shouldn't even be in the top 50. You guys recall last year him doing that stupid fins up thing after his interception when Ryan Tannehill underthrew a pass and Mike Gusecki played dead dolphin going down to the ground after he felt contact. He had that interception, was doing a stupid celebration, and then Kenny Stills burns him for that 75-yard touchdown pass from Tannehill. That was the norm for Butler last year, getting smoked time and time again. And Josh Norman just hasn't been that good since he left Carolina. So these th- type of things probably take it with a grain of salt. I just thought it was worth talking about on the podcast because they had our guy, number one, atop all cornerbacks in the NFL, a very important position, especially in this defense. Let's go ahead and shift gears here and talk about a team that has some of their own financial struggles and the Dolphins could be the beneficiary of those struggles. Yannick Ngakwe sitting out for the Jacksonville Jaguars minicamp and probably will linger into training camp this summer as well. The Jags are in this interesting position and an interesting team to monitor this offseason or next offseason I should say for Dolphins fans because they just gave a bunch of money to Nick Foles and they're pretty strapped for cash and now they have to turn over some couch cushions to find money for some of their best players. It starts with the cornerback who was number two on that Lindy's list, Jalen Ramsey. We know that the number two cornerback position is probably a position of need right now unless Eric Rowe or one of the young guys steps up and fills that position alongside Xavier Howard. But that's why Jalen Ramsey is not going to happen in Miami. That's way too much money to commit to the position, especially when you consider that you have Bobby McCain on a contract, Rashad Jones is still here, and Minka Fitzpatrick will have to get paid eventually. It's a lot of money in that secondary, and Ramsey's going to command a Xavier Howard contract. So just get it out of your head. That's not going to happen. But I do assume that he just gets paid by the Jaguars anyway. So he probably doesn't become available. But that could open up some other guys like Yannick Ngakwe, who also plays a position of massive need for this Dolphins defense. But again, I doubt the Dolphins bite because they're going to find the pass rush through the scheme. And we've seen the Patriots usher out elite level pass rushers time and time again. It's just not something they value. They want to put their money more into the back seven and into guys that can cover and create that pass rush through the scheme and through coverage. And that's why the next two guys to me would be very interesting, especially this guy, Miles Jack, who was one of the top five players in the draft that year. I was hoping the Dolphins would pick him at 13. Luckily, I was wrong. The Dolphins took Laramie Tunzel because of the bong mask. And now we might've gotten the best player in that entire draft class. But as the Dolphins transition into this new scheme, Miles Jack could be a great fit as one of these guys that can play both on ball and off ball linebacker, face up with the tight end, cover the tight end, rush off the edge, work inside, and just do everything like a Dolphins linebacker might need to be able to do going forward in this new defensive scheme. And that also leaves, of course, Telvin Smith. If he comes back from retirement, which I honestly believe at some point he will, but he will have to get paid when he does it. But again, the caveat here, he retired from football in the prime of his career. I tend to think those types of guys that don't want to be around football or have one reason or another to leave the game aren't going to be on Miami's list. But all of this bears watching and Miles Jack, I think, is the one that I would want the most off that entire list. I just think we should monitor this list of potential free agents and do it for other teams as the course of this season plays out because Miami has lots of money to spend next year and they're going to have to spend it on somebody. 
Okay, I wanna go ahead and shift gears here and lead into our next topic in segment number two with this segment idea that came across my mind today. I began my college quarterback scouting ahead of this season just last night. I'm gonna get full reports on Tua Tungavailoa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love, plus a fifth piece looking at some of the lesser known guys around the country like Khalil Tate to Eric King, other fellows out there. And I will have work throughout the college football season on those four guys and the other guys that do pop up because we know it's going to happen. It happens every single year. And the thought is this, that teams that could finish in last place, get the number one draft pick and not take Tua Tungavailoa. I think you're basically looking at teams that have pretty definitive answers or perceived answers at the quarterback position that would take the bounty of draft picks in lieu of drafting the Alabama quarterback. The real candidates to me would just go ahead and draft Tua. Of course, your Bengals, your Raiders, your Buccaneers of the world, and also those teams that have older established quarterbacks like the Chargers, the Saints, the Steelers, dare I say the freaking Patriots. If any of those teams wind up with the first pick somehow because of a bunch of injuries, is basically the only way it's going to happen. They would just go out and draft Tua. So with the first one, and honestly, I think the most likely team to wind up with the first draft pick that wouldn't be in business with the Dolphins anyway is the New York Jets. The coaching situation has the potential to be a nightmare. We know how Adam Gase can get when things go bad. If Sam Darnold happened to got to get hurt, that would prolong his evaluation for Joe Douglas. And that's kind of the crux of this entire argument that you need a good quarterback to get hurt, which I'm not rooting for, obviously. I'm just playing out these scenarios. The Jets, to me, are number one, but they're not going to trade with Miami for Tua Tungavailoa anyway. So go ahead and cross them off. The next option, I think, is the Houston Texans. I don't think they're going to be that bad. I think they have potential to be bad, but if Deshaun Watson gets hurt, then they could very easily fall into the basically the, the sunken place of the NFL, for lack of a better term. They know that Deshaun is the guy, and the new GM would probably be pretty keen on collecting a war chest from Miami to build a team around Deshaun Watson, and Bill O'Brien's kind of in a weird situation there. He continues to win games and keeps his job, but a lot of people are not big fans of Bill O'Brien, so that one bears some watching. I think the next two teams are the best option, especially the New York Giants. They would have a new coach in this scenario, but would Gettleman still be there? I would imagine they don't want to get rid of Daniel Jones after one season. That could be interesting with a sixth overall pick in the draft. And then, of course, the Washington football team. Would they bail on Dwayne Haskins one year in? They would also have a new coach because if Jay Gruden finishes last, he's not coming back. The rest of the NFL, I just don't see his options. Even if Andrew Luck gets hurt again, the Colts have built up a really good core that could win with Jacoby Brissett. The same story for teams like the Jaguars and the Vikings. If something crazy were to happen with Nick Foles or Kirk Cousins, those teams aren't going to finish last. And if they did, they'd probably just take Tua anyway. That's why I think the teams I listed above are the only real conceivable options for this hypothetical scenario. The other option isn't one that I'm thrilled about either. That is, of course, losing the most games and earning the first pick that way. But what would that mean for Brian Flores? We'll get to that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. All of the allergy sufferers out there, how do you guys do this every day? Because for 31 years of my life, I never dealt with allergies as far as the pollen count being high or whatever it might be that causes your nose to stuff up without an actual head cold. 
It's miserable. I've been dealing with that this week. And my wife says that you can develop allergies later on in your life. And I've been pumping that Allegra in every single day, but I feel so short of breath. And if this is what you guys deal with every single day as someone with severe allergies, my hat's off to you because it's absolutely awful. I'm hoping this high pollen count goes down or maybe my tolerance builds up because I'm just not having any fun with all these issues breathing, especially someone that talks for a living. So I hope it gets kicked. Nonetheless, let's go ahead and change gears here and go back to the topic we ended last segment with discussing head coaches and tanking and being the first pick in the draft and everybody's infatuation with Tua Tungavailoa. And the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com is called You Have to Pick One, Brian Flores or Tua Tungavailoa. And the purpose for this article was exploring what happens to coaches that finish with the worst record in the NFL and can they rebound and come back and have good coaching careers? And the answer to that is basically no. So what I did was go through 15 years of head coaching hires, basically back to 2004, and looked at some of the stats and the data that I gathered from their first year as the head coach, their total career record with that team, and what some of the teams did that wound up picking first and how they proceeded with that head coach, whether they fired him or went forward with him. And here's some of the numbers that I found. Only 33.9% of new coaching hires since 2004 have kept that job for five or more years. So in essence, one out of three head coaching hires last more than five years. The Dolphins in their own right are 0 for 5 in that regard. And you guys know who those head coaches are. Of the 82 coaching hires since 2004, only 21 of them have coached for five or more years. And only six of those 21 have won a Super Bowl. Now, what about first year coaches and their record? The last 15 years, 82 head coaches have posted a 677 compared to 913 losses record. That's 426 in the winning percentage. Not very good for first year head coaches. And only 30 7.8%, that's 31 out of 82, registered winning career marks with their respective organizations. So basically, one out of three coaches has a winning record with their team. And one and done coaches, guys that last one season, is 12.2%, 10 out of the 82. But let's go ahead and talk about this number the most important number, the reason I wrote this entire article was the record or the combined record of post number one draft pick coaches. There have been four guys to do it. Hugh Jackson did it twice with the Browns somehow and kept his job both times. Lovey Smith with the Buccaneers, Steve Spagnuolo with the Rams and Jim Schwartz with the Lions. Those four coaches over five seasons posted records in their career of 44, 91 and one, a 32.6 winning percentage. If you get the first pick in the draft, you're not going to work out. And that's why I'm saying that if you have the first pick this season to get to a Tonga Vailoa, that means that Brian Flores is likely not the answer at the head coaching position. The last coach to get the first pick and go on to win a Super Bowl was Jimmy Johnson with the Dallas Cowboys. And that was 30 years ago. So if you want to a Tonga Vailoa, the best course of action, I think, is what we talked about in the previous segment, where some team sucks it up so bad, but still has an answer at the quarterback position and is willing to trade you for a war chest, something the Dolphins definitely have in their back pocket. So the route to Tua Tungavailoa and Brian Flores together is trading up to the number one pick this year. Otherwise, you're probably searching for a new head coach elsewhere because Flores, the numbers suggest, if he finishes last, then he's not the answer for the Miami Dolphins. 
Let's go ahead and spin things forward here and jump into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You write in with your questions and get them answered here on the podcast. We're going to do a lot more on tomorrow's show. Let's go ahead and get to a couple here first on this Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And this first question is pretty appropriate for the topic we're just talking about. It comes in from Connors. He's at Lee Connolly one on Twitter. What's the minimum win total this year that will have you feeling good about the overhaul the coaching staff has gone through? I think five and 11 would keep me pretty engaged in terms of this coaching staff, because we do know that this team is not the most talented as far as the roster goes, but they also are shifting gears from one scheme to another. And that tends to take some time. I do agree. The scheme is going to be better in the long term, but they're going to have to find a way to fit the pieces into the scheme to get it operating at full efficiency. And I do think that home stretch early in the season could be beneficial because the Dolphins tend to win those games at home early in the season, but those opponents are pretty tough. If they can string things together and put a little run together at the end of the season and win five games, actually, I'm going to call it six. If they go six and 10, I'll feel very good, but that also has a bunch of extenuating circumstances in terms of what happened individually on the roster. If they got the defense playing at a certain level and just have to come back next year and fix the quarterback, I'll feel pretty good about that. But if Josh Rosen proves he's the answer and they have to go back and retool the defense to fit the scheme, I'd feel good about that too. Let's go ahead and call it 6 and 10 to get me feeling good. And next question here from Brandon Haran. He's at FinFanForLife91. What's one move you would have made this offseason that wasn't made? Maybe besides trading up for Kyler Murray. You know that's my number one pick every single time. But I'm going to go ahead and go off the beaten path here and say... They probably should have signed a fullback because I think there's a pretty good cult-like following developing for Chandler Cox, the fullback out of Auburn, drafted in the seventh round. But do we expect a seventh round draft pick to come in his rookie season and play a role that's very difficult to play at this level at a 35 to 45% snap basis? I think Miami would have been wise to go out and search for a veteran fullback that could help implement the scheme and give Chandler Cox somebody to learn from and hopefully develop his game in the future going forward. Because right now, the entire fullback package, 21 personnel package, kind of depends on a seventh round draft pick. And I just don't feel confident in that because why would you? He was passed over 230 something times. That's not a guy that you expect to come in and contribute in year one right away. Next question comes in from Travis Moore, at Moore for me. It's a pretty great handle. During this time of year, it's easy to dive into other projects. Since it's the dead period, do you feel any confliction in taking time to scout the potential quarterbacks for next year's draft, knowing that Miami potentially could just stick with Josh Rosen? I mean, that's part of the game in terms of getting things done ahead of time and having time basically make those efforts futile. I did it this offseason with Tyrod Taylor. I did it with, uh, who else was there? Teddy Bridgewater. I wrote these pieces up on quarterbacks that it sounded like Miami might be in on, and then they go sign elsewhere, and I'm left with an article that basically has no bearing to the Miami Dolphins. So I'm used to pre-writing and having that stuff taken away. But I think the fans really want to see what these quarterbacks are all about. I think that most fans this year for the Dolphins would agree that the college football season, if you're a fan of college football, 
is likely to provide more entertainment than what the Dolphins can do on Sunday because it is going to be a challenging year. Even if they find a way to win six or seven games, it's still not going to be a playoff season. So I think we might get more enjoyment out of college ball. And if I can provide fans with a baseline of knowledge for those college quarterbacks and get them prepared to look for these guys and what to look for, I take pride in that. And as long as you guys want to read it, I'm going to provide it. That's what I do here on Locked on Dolphins, the website, as well as here on the podcast. But let's go ahead and jump into our final break of the show today here on the Thursday edition of the Locked on Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We're going to come back and take a couple more questions on the mailbag and then jump into the NFC North preview here next. The Locked on Dolphins podcast at Linkville NFL at Locked on Fins. saw the Kings of Leon live at the Gorge Amphitheater out here in central Washington a couple years ago, and it was absolutely remarkable. They put on a great live show, and they have such a great discography, and I don't want to lose my listener base here for having the audacity to spend 15 seconds on a non-football topic in the middle of June, but are Kings of Leon the best rock band of the 21st century? Who's better? I think it might be them. And I know this is not a good judge for how good the music is, but their sales history would say that they certainly are. I know they have plenty of songs I listen to every single day at my workout or otherwise. Let's go ahead and jump back in here, though, to the Twitter mailbag and get a couple more questions before we jump into the NFC North preview, taking a look at the Packers, Bears, Lions, and Vikings. And this first question here comes in from Miami. He's at Devin underscore Dolphin. I appreciate you making it easy on me. Having listened to the podcast quite a while now, it's obvious your stock is rising. Well, thank you. If when you move to South Florida or to one of the nationals for a major position with the accreditation that goes with them, will you continue to do a Dolphins podcast for your regular listeners? That's my goal. My ultimate goal here is to make money off the podcast to support myself. And right now I do in my circumstances, but as things kind of progress and the family gets bigger as me and the wife eventually do go in that direction, I am going to have to make more money because right now I just don't to support a family. But I think there's some things in the fire that could be taking me to South Florida in the near future. At least that's my hope. So Yes, ideally, that would be the case. Keeping the Dolphins podcast going, whether it's a daily podcast or a weekly podcast, we'll see what happens. But my long-term goal is to continue providing coverage for the Miami Dolphins as long as I possibly can. Okay, we're getting short on time here on the mailbag. We're going to come back into that on tomorrow's podcast. Let's go ahead and jump back in here to the division-by-division preview. We've done the NFC West and NFC South so far, and today the bus stops in the Great White North, and we start with the defending champions of the NFC North, the Chicago Bears. And I think Mitch Trubisky might be the most important player, not just in this division, but in the entire NFL this year, because this is a championship roster, and I think they did get it right with Matt Nagy. 12-4 and last year certainly says they did. But is Mitch Trubisky even any good? He missed multiple throws in that game last year in Miami, and that trend continued throughout the season. I think Tariq Cohen is awesome. They're loaded at receiver and tight end. They're going to have to make up for Adrian Amos leaving to Chicago or to Green Bay rather, but there really isn't a weak spot on this roster 
except at quarterback, which is probably the same story in Minnesota. And I actually think Kirk Cousins is better than the perception of Kirk Cousins. But there is something to be said about that clutch gene, and he's certainly lacking when the lights come on in terms of primetime or must-win games. We'll see if they can get better offensive line play this year because it severely hampered that offense in 2018. Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen is the best one-two punch at receiver in the National Football League, and Dalvin Cook is a superstar if he can just stay healthy. Garrett Bradbury, the center in the first round, was a massive addition for that offensive line, and Irv Smith will help in the run game too. This should primarily be a 12-personnel team with those two wideouts and Kyle Rudolph back to pair with Irv Smith at tight end. The defense had some rough stretches last year, but they're still loaded. Daniil Hunter is a star. Everson Griffin has hopefully put aside his mental health issues for reasons beyond football. Harrison Smith and Xavier Rhodes are both all pros, and they get Anthony Barr back to keep in tandem with Eric Kendricks. Every single position on that defense is stacked for the Vikings. The Packers, on the other hand, are super fascinating to me, as Aaron Rodgers is still the best in the business, and I think the coaching change will help them in terms of having a fresh face, But is Matt LaFleur going to come in and earn Rodgers' respect and stop him from taking over the controls in the middle of games? Plus, the offensive line has pretty much deteriorated as Brian Balaga is a shell of his former self, and they'll have to continue to acclimate that young receiving core. Lots of moving parts and lots of questions on that offense. On defense, I love what they have done. We mentioned Adrian Amos in the last segment. Jair Alexander was a huge boon for them last year, and I love me some Darnell Savage, the rookie second-round draft pick. This year, Mike Daniels is as good as it gets up front, and they went after a pass rush with Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, and Rashawn Gary in the draft as well. There are three really good teams in this division, and then to me, there's the Lions. My money is on Matt Patricia being one or two and done, in Detroit rather. The dude is just kind of weird. The whole clapback he does at press conferences when reporters aren't sitting up straight, yet he looks like he just got done panhandling and often shows up to those meetings, those same exact pressers late. It's a weird dynamic. Like Kirk Cousins, I think higher of Matt Stafford than most. He's immensely talented both as a processor and as a thrower. It just hasn't quite happened for him yet in terms of the big moment in his Detroit Lions career. They finally have an answer at tailback with Carrion Johnson. And between Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and TJ Hawkinson, I think their skill set at wideout and tight end is good enough. They could use some more help at receiver, honestly. The offensive line is solid, not great, but solid. And on defense, big play Darius Slay is the driver of that group. They remade the defensive line with Trey Flowers and bringing in Damon Harrison last season on an in-season trade to help fit Matt Patricia's scheme. I think Gerard Davis needs a big year, and there are some solid parts in that secondary, along with Darius Slay, like Tavon Wilson, Quandre Diggs, and Rashawn Melvin. And maybe they can get something from Tease Tabor this year. I still think this team is a far cry from the other three in this very loaded NFC North. And how about the bests in this division? To me, the best team is the Vikings. I think that defense jumps back into things this year and the offensive remake around Kirk Cousins in year number two is going to be better. The best player in the division is Khalil Mack. The best offensive player in the division is Aaron Rodgers. And you could really take or give either of those two guys. And the best defensive player obviously is still Khalil Mack. The best offensive rookie, I'm going with Garrett Bradbury, the Viking center. The best defensive rookie, this could be a surprise for some, but I'm going to go with Jelani Tavai, the linebacker for the Lions. He's a perfect scheme 
fit for that Matt Patricia defense playing that Kyle Van Noy role. The best coach to me is Mike Zimmer, and the best rivalry is finally once again Packers versus Bears, the longest rivalry, the opening game of the NFL season, and probably a good battle for NFC North supremacy this season. I'm very excited for this division, really the entire NFC conference as a whole. And on tomorrow's podcast, we're going to come back and preview the NFC East and talk about each of those four teams that the Dolphins play this season in 2019. But as for this show today, that is going to be my time. I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating and leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Linkfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.